Our listeners continue to send us questions about Lyme testing. Specifically, how is blood tested in Canada? And even more importantly, is it a reliable way to diagnose Lyme? Let's go back to the microscope for a lesson in serology. Victoria Sanderson is a researcher at the G. Magnata Lab at the University of Guelph. She just published some groundbreaking research. Let's learn from another incredible Canadian scientist. Welcome to our podcast, Victoria. Thank you so much for having me today, Sarah. How did you become interested in Lyme disease research? I've always wanted to get into a healthcare-related field. Um, But nearing the end of my undergraduate degree, I started hearing about this new lab that had started up in Guelph that studied Lyme disease, which has a personal connection for me. And as I started doing more reading and learning about the science and the clinical aspects of Lyme disease, the more intrigued I became by the complexities of the microbiology and the pathology of Lyme disease. And this opportunity to combine my interest in clinical research and the ability to use my biology background for such an important cause really drew me in. And can you tell us just a little bit about your personal connection to Lyme? Sure. Yeah. So my mom was diagnosed with Lyme kind of around the same time at the end of my undergraduate degree. And so I saw yeah, firsthand how much it can affect somebody and their family. And I think that's really motivated me in this work as well. And I see it affecting so many other people. And it it really is a great cause and really interesting from the science perspective as well. So it's a great balance between the two. Absolutely. And it's a relief to see your loved ones getting better. So that part's super important and very motivating. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. We have spoken to a few people at the G-Magnata Lab in previous podcasts. We spoke to Rosanna Magnata, and we also spoke to Dr. Mulaney Wills. So people can go and learn from them as well. But let's focus on your research, which was on uh, around the testing. So what is whole blood, plasma, and serum? Yeah, yeah. So this is the work that I've been working on, but it really is a team effort at the Magnata Lab and all the people you mentioned, as well as so many others in the lab. It's such a team effort and they've contributed to this work as well. So I just wanted to acknowledge all of them because it's a a really great environment to be a part of. Um, But yeah, my work with the diagnostic testing in blood We looked at different things. So the whole blood, plasma, and serum, they're different components of the blood. And whole blood is kind of what you would typically imagine with the red blood cells, white blood cells, platelets, and lots of other things. And then plasma and serum are the liquid portions once all the cells have been removed. And the difference between these, the plasma and serum, is that plasma has clotting factors in it. Well, the serum doesn't have the clotting factors left. And this difference is a result of how they're collected. So serum is typically collected by allowing whole blood to form a clot once it's removed from the body um, and then collecting that liquid portion. So the clotting factors are left in the clot and the liquid portion doesn't have those. Well, plasma is, there's many ways to collect it, but one way is via centrifugation and separating the blood cells out of the liquid. Um, But this leaves the clotting factors in that liquid fraction. And which part of the blood were you looking at specifically? 
Yeah, we looked at a variety of different fractions. So we use this technique I mentioned, centrifugation, to separate different components. So we, we, we had plasma, we had serum, we had whole blood, um, and then we also separated out different blood cells. So we had uh, a red blood cell enriched fraction. We had a platelet enriched fraction. And we were able to look at those different components of blood uh, in a mock infection environment with Borrelia in there to see where the Borrelia tended to spend its time. I know you spent a lot of time looking through a microscope. What were you looking for <laughs> and how did you quantify it? I did spend a lot of hours <laughs> looking through a microscope and uh, so does the rest of the lab, just looking at little squiggly lines that wiggle around. Uh, and we use it for a lot of different purposes in the lab, but one big one is to quantify Borrelia. Unlike other species of bacteria, uh, we can't use typical methods of quantifying a lab culture, um, such as turbidity or a plating technique because they haven't been optimized or aren't possible uh, with Borrelia. So instead, we have to use these little square chips uh, and put a little drop of the culture in there and we look inside a little square and count how many little squiggly lines we see. <laughs> and we can extrapolate that up to per milliliter values. Um, and that gives us idea, an idea of how much a culture is growing or how much is in there at a given time. Um, and yeah, sometimes we'd have to count thousands of those at, at one sitting. So it was, it's fun. For sure. <laughs> it must have been in your dreams. <laughs> It absolutely was. We joke about that. <laughs> <laughs> now, which findings did you find most interesting from that? Yeah, we learned uh, some really interesting things. Uh, so looking at those different fractions that I mentioned when we were looking at liquid things like plasma and serum versus cell fractions um, and comparing how much Borrelia was in each of those fractions after a mock infection in whole blood and separating that out. So we found that the platelet fraction that we separated out was enriched with Borrelia after that mock infection. Um, so we were able to see it better under the microscope. We were able to uh, detect it, the proteins that it produces better using a Western blot technique. And we were also able to detect it better in that fraction uh, using PCR, which detects DNA. Uh, so we used multiple techniques there. Um, and compared it to those other fractions. And then compared... also... Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, so compared to what they are using for testing, are they looking at the platelet fraction in the current testing they're using in Canada? Yeah, so that's a bit of a complicated question okay. because the current, the current testing is indirect, so it's looking for antibodies. Right. So they're not looking necessarily for the bacteria itself. Um. But in research, we might want to be able to detect the bacteria itself. And eventually, if a diagnostic test came out of that, that could be very interesting. But in the research world, it's really great to yeah, be able to detect that bacteria and see what it's doing. Um, so that's been a really ch a big challenge in research is to find where that bacteria is in human samples. Um, so we were trying to see if there was a way to optimize how we process blood to detect the bacteria. So one way is by looking in these different fractions potentially. And yeah, we found that the platelet fraction might be a good opportunity um, to find these bacteria. 
That's so interesting. So just to make sure I've got this right for our listeners, the current testing is using indirect testing in Canada, and the tests you're doing is direct testing, where you're actually looking at the Borrelia spirochete, and you're counting those under the microscope, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we can we can do those direct tests in a variety of ways, and microscopy is one, or we can try and detect the proteins or the DNA eventually would be great as well, yeah. Wow. Okay, now let's go over, I know you also did research on the anticoagulants that are used to store the blood samples. Can you tell us more about that re- part of your research? Yeah, that's also an interesting finding. It was part of, uh, kind of part of that whole project and in the same paper uh, that I'm sure we'll, we'll link here for the listeners. Um, but there, yeah, so with the, vacu- the anticoagulants, there are three main types of vacutainers, we call them. So when you get your blood taken into a little container, it's called a vacutainer. Um, and sometimes they're coated with an anticoagulant, which stops that clotting process that I was talking about earlier. Um, and sometimes they're uncoated because we want it to clot and maybe we're collecting the serum. So we considered a few different anticoagulants, EDTA and citrate. Uh, so these work in similar ways, but they have slight differences. So we wanted to consider how they might be affecting the bacteria. So currently in the clinical culture literature, uh, we kind of reviewed the papers out there currently and found that 39% of clinical culture studies use EDTA, 11% use citrate, and 18% use heparin, which has been previously shown to be less useful uh, in Borrelia detection here. And then 32% use uncoated. So essentially, there was no consensus approach to Borrelia recovery. So we wanted to figure out, hey, is there an optimized option uh, that we could be using here? So I wanted to see how citrate and EDTA impacted Borrelia growth itself. Um, So I inoculated liquid Borrelia culture into the vacutainer tube with the two anticoagulants compared to the uncoated control. So after incubation with the anticoagulant, the cultures were grown up for two weeks. And what we found was that EDTA significantly impeded the bacteria's ability to grow compared to a control culture. On the other hand, citrate was within range of the uncoated control and therefore the better option for direct Borrelia recovery, despite only being used in 11% of previous research. So this doesn't directly impact that serological indirect test that's currently being used. Um, However, it's really exciting for research purposes so that we can optimize how this direct detection research is being conducted. Absolutely. And so that is my next question. Where do you want to focus your research next? Where do you think these findings are going to take you next? Yeah, there, there's so many exciting <laughs> questions and uh, lines of research in Lyme disease. Um, and yeah, all of this work so far has been conducted in mock infected samples. So using laboratory strains of Borrelia that we inoculate into uh, clean blood samples, I guess you might say. Uh, so a clear next step for me is to look at naturally infected patient blood samples and ask questions about recovery and de- direct detection of the bacteria in those samples. So we have lots of exciting projects on the go in our lab at the moment. So I'm excited to see those results and continue uh, contributing to the Lyme disease literature. So maybe even for our other scientists there that are out there listening, can you tell us a little bit about the difference between that mock infection that you're doing versus uh, naturally infected blood? How did, how did you do a sure. mock infection? Yeah, so the mock infections, 
uh, what happens is we collect blood just from uh, healthy participants that volunteer into those vacuum containers. Um, and then we take our Borrelia culture that we grow up in the lab. So that's typically a strain called B31, which is just a laboratory strain of Borrelia. And we grow up these cultures in the lab in a liquid culture, and we're able to take some of that and inoculate it into the, the healthy blood vacutainers. Um, and we're able to control how kind of the concentration of the bacteria in there. So it's a really nice way to standardize that for research purposes. Um, so it's a really great starting place because we were able to see kind of what proportion separated out where and the growth rates and really keep things very consistent, which is so important when you're asking these research questions. Um, and then the naturally infected blood samples would be from Lyme disease patients themselves. So they're harder to control because you don't know exactly how much Borrelia is in a given sample, but it would be more applicable and translational to uh, clinical presentations of Lyme disease. So what could success look like in the future when we do have better diagnostic testing? Yeah, so I guess the ingredients of an ideal diagnostic test are that it would be sensitive, which would help us avoid false negatives. It would be specific to help us avoid false positives. And it would be incredibly helpful to have an indication of active infection and the disease stage. Is this an acute infection? Is this post-treatment? Is this chronic? Um, and this would allow us to monitor disease progression as well as response to treatment. Um, so yeah, a test that checked all of these boxes would allow us to monitor the state of infection, the progression, correlations to disease presentation. Um, and the first step to so much of Lyme disease research in terms of things like treatment is uh, to ensure we fully understand the underlying state of infection uh, and the microbiology behind it. And then we can progress to treatment efficacy and so many, so many other opportunities as well. Oh, fabulous. Yeah, we did a great interview with Dr. Armin Schwartzbach, and he did speak about sensitivity and specificity as well. So if people oh, want great. to dive deeper into that, they can go back and listen to that episode. Um, I want to congratulate you, Victoria. I know you're going into your second year of medical school. Way to go. And my question mm, is, how do you think your research will give you a broader, enhanced perspective in your medical practice? Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Sarah. I am, I'm super <laughs> excited to get back into classes soon after a summer of research and some work and relaxation as well. Um, so I think, I think having a background in research and learning those critical analysis skills and developing research questions um, will allow me to think really deeply about what I'm learning and how the research impacts patients directly. Um, and I hope to keep research as part of my future in medicine as well in some way. Uh, it's very rewarding and exciting to be the first person to find an answer to a certain question. And there's just <laughs> so much to still be, to still be discovered out there as well. Um, and I'm also just very inspired by the Lyme community. Uh, they're, everyone is so incredibly resilient and passionate. And I think seeing uh, individuals and groups of people fight so hard against their illness and to ensure they're properly cared for really inspires me in an advocacy role. Um, and seeing all of this firsthand, I think, will help me in my future practice to be a really caring listener um, and to really look at the overall picture of a patient's 
state of health while also ensuring every patient feels heard and cared for as well. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much for your time and your expertise, Victoria. Thank you, Sarah. It's been really nice talking with you. was Victoria Sanderson, a researcher at the G-Magnata Lab in Guelph. I found it really interesting to learn more about direct testing and how the Borrelia spirochete is being found in the platelet fraction of the blood. I'm your host, Sarah Cormode. That's another episode of Looking at Lyme. Remember, stay safe in the outdoors. Music